Our summaries contain two cases on criminal law this week, both from the Arkansas Court of Appeals. In Roberts v. State, 2023, RCAP 115, the Arkansas Court of Appeals, in affirming a second-degree murder conviction, considered a death following medical treatment for defendant's assault. The decedent fell in the hospital and died from later pneumonia. Judge Barrett affirmed, Testimony to Proximate Cause Leading to Death Quote, Dr. Frank Peretti, a recently retired associate medical examiner at the Arkansas State Crime Laboratory, testified that Oliver died on November 8, 2020, and he performed Oliver's autopsy on November 10, 2020. He explained that Oliver had developed a subdural hematoma, a blood clot on his brain, as a result of the assault, and it was necessary to perform surgery to remove it and to relieve pressure on his brain. Otherwise, herniation of the spinal cord would occur, rendering him brain dead. Dr. Peretti explained that Oliver's injury was contained inside of his skull on the top of the brain. However, the excess mucus and drool, the seizures, and the inability to see were all symptoms consistent with a subdural hematoma. Dr. Peretti determined that Oliver's cause of death was pneumonia complicating blunt force head injuries and the manner of death was homicide, meaning that his death was caused by another person. When asked how the manner of death could be homicide if the cause of death was pneumonia complicating blunt force head injuries, Dr. Peretti explained that Oliver had sustained significant head trauma and had undergone extensive surgical intervention. On October 21, while still recovering from surgery in the hospital, Oliver fell, hit his head, and became bedbound. He then developed pneumonia and died. Dr. Peretti opined that Oliver developed pneumonia as a result of his assault. If Oliver had not been assaulted and required surgery, he would not have been in the hospital and fallen, and he would not have developed pneumonia. Dr. Peretti considered the time from the assault on October 14 to Oliver's death on November 8 to be an uninterrupted sequence of events. On cross-examination, Dr. Peretti admitted Oliver had begun to recover from surgery when he fell in the hospital and suffered new injuries. The new injury caused a re-bleed where the first subdural hematoma occurred and Oliver developed another blood clot. The state rested after Dr. Peretti's testimony. Roberts moved for a directed verdict on the charge of murder in the second degree, arguing the state had failed to prove he caused Oliver's death. The state argued that there could be concurrent causes of death, but conduct that hastens or contributes to a person's death is a cause of death. The circuit court denied the directed verdict motion, finding it was a question for the jury. Concurring causation. Causation may be found when the result would not have occurred but for the conduct of the defendant operating either alone or concurrently with another cause unless, one, the concurrent cause was clearly sufficient to produce the result, and two, the conduct of the defendant was clearly insufficient to produce the result. End of quote. In holding the original battery was a cause of death, the decision concluded, quote, While pneumonia may have been a cause of Oliver's death, the state produced sufficient evidence that Robert's assault on Oliver was a contributing cause to his death as well, and the jury, as a trier of fact, was entitled to believe Dr. Peretti's expert testimony as to what caused Oliver's death. End of quote. Defendant also unsuccessfully challenged the trial court's jurisdiction because the events occurred between Pulaski and Saline County boundaries. Quote, 
If an offense is committed on the boundary of two or more counties, or if it is uncertain where the boundary is, either county has jurisdiction to hear the matter. Art Code and Section 1688-108-A. If an offense is committed partly in one county and partly in another, jurisdiction is in either county. Art Code and Section 1688-108-C. There is a presumption that the court had venue. There must be positive evidence that an offense occurred outside the jurisdiction of the court before the state is required to offer evidence of jurisdiction or venue. Sentencing Error Although we affirm Robert's convictions, we remand this case for the limited purpose of correcting a clerical error in the sentencing order. The state charged Roberts as a habitual offender who had previously been convicted of more than four felonies, and Roberts was sentenced accordingly. However, on the sentencing order, the habitual offender boxes are not checked. Rather, the third page of the sentencing order identifies 54501 habitual offender as a separate offense. Habitual offender status is not a separate crime or offense. The circuit court is free to correct a clerical error to have the judgment speak the truth. Therefore, we remand to the circuit court with instructions to correct the sentencing order by marking the boxes indicating that Roberts was sentenced as a habitual offender on all three offenses and removing the improper listing of habitual offender as a separate offense. End of quote. End of decision. In Mitchell v. State, 2023, ARC App 119, the Arkansas Court of Appeals reversed an order that denied a motion to dismiss on double jeopardy grounds. Defendant was previously found not guilty of first and second degree murder, but the jury deadlocked on manslaughter, so a mistrial was declared. Judge Wood reasoned, quote, The state filed an amended criminal information on September 11, 2020. The first degree murder charge was among the charges. Mitchell subsequently filed a motion to dismiss any homicide charge greater than manslaughter on double jeopardy grounds. Mitchell argued that the polling of the jurors and their completed verdict forms constituted an acquittal of first and second degree murder. After a hearing, the circuit court denied Mitchell's motion, finding that no final judgment had been entered acquitting him of first or second degree murder because the case had ended in a mistrial. In the circuit court's view, a partial verdict rendered in a case that ends in a mistrial cannot implicate double jeopardy. The court's written order to that effect was entered on September 17. This appeal followed. We hold that the circuit court erred when it deviated from the standard instructions and allowed the jury to return a partial verdict. The question we must answer at this juncture is whether this legal error that yielded an impermissible partial verdict of not guilty on two offenses within a single charge, voids that verdict so that the constitutional prohibition of double jeopardy does not apply. The state argues that because the circuit court erroneously received a partial verdict, the not guilty verdicts are legal nullities and do not prevent Mitchell's retrial for murder on double jeopardy grounds. Despite the circuit court's legal error, It followed the formal processes for the rendering of formal and final verdicts of acquittal on first and second degree murder. With the agreement of the parties, the jurors announced their verdict in open court. They were polled, and the verdict forms, which were signed by the foreperson and entered on the record, found Mitchell not guilty of two of the three homicide offenses included in the single charge. In both form and substance, these verdicts represented the jury's final decision as the trier of fact that Mitchell was not guilty of first- and second-degree murder, 
It, therefore, was an acquittal. To conclude that the error that led to these verdicts deprives them of effect under double jeopardy principles would be to elevate form over substance. As with any other form of error that results in acquittal, a defendant may not be retried on an offense for which he was acquitted. End of quote. End of decision.